all I could think about when I got a look at the place from the outside was what fun it would be to stand out there and watch it burn down. You're listening to the AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Jacob Shamansky with Ramya Amuthan. Ramya, what is this quote you had me read? Uh, this is from Haunting of Hill House. Okay, this is written by Shirley Jackson. Probably most of us are thinking of Haunting of Hill House, the show, a uh, Netflix original, but it is based on a book, FYI. And anyways, I went off the show. It is October. We are talking a lot more spooky stuff. We did it last week with our Sela friends. Um, and this quote particularly stuck out to me because ugh, it just puts me in that place. Have you ever read um, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng? No. Oh, God, such a good book. And the thing is, the characters that we pan on and off of, these characters that we get um, firsthand narratives from throughout the book, it's a multi-perspective book, you get so much of this. They are someone on the outside, someone that everybody thinks they know, but they're someone so much more sinister, more complicated, more confused, more... uh, flawed on the inside so you get a lot of these lines where you're getting reality checks of "Uh uh-oh what could go wrong and the capacity of something going wrong is real Mm -hmm. but we are the only ones who know that the reader and others who are just kind of milling about their daily lives may not even understand what's to happen so we're building this environment of fear That others are not even aware of, right? And it's quite um, sinister. That's always exciting as a reader when you're in a position where you know information that nobody else in the story does. Yes. And that builds so much tension because you're in the know where everybody else isn't. I love that. Yes. And you're, you know, slowly connecting the dots with the others, right? Like thinking, okay, are they going to find out now? When are they going to find out? Do they have an inkling? Of what's happening and little fires everywhere, you know, quite literally is about setting the place on fire. So that's why this reminded me of that. So what is the context of this quote, if you can remember? No idea. No idea? No idea. Because you seem to find it pretty funny that I read a deadpan. I mean, yeah. What were you expecting? (laughs) (laughs) It's because you're talking about setting a place on fire and you're like, can't wait. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) terrifying um hey we want to let you know that on today's episode we're talking to communication specialist at ami greg david he is our distinguished guest this week wow jacob nice copy Mm -hmm. and he's an avid reader he's uh, gonna be put to his paces when we do rapid fire reviews better be nervous greg it's very scary stuff but also you and i are gonna take some time to present our own book recommendations because we haven't actually done this yet formally since you came on the show. Mm, no, I think we need to indulge in this because I love recommending books, but especially having people read books that I've recommended to them because selfishly, I want to talk about them with people. Yes. Right. So we're going to give you recommendations that we've decided to tidally organize in two different categories. We're going to get to more categories uh, in the next episode, mm-hmm. but we're going to start with thrillers and mysteries and finishing off with nonfiction. All right. Okay. Rams, uh, you start. What is your recommendation for thriller slash mystery? Okay, 
For Thriller Slash Mystery, The Girl on the Train, Paula Hawkins, recent read for me, I will caveat this by saying I don't read a lot of mystery. Oftentimes, I won't even pick up a mystery recommendation. Like, if people are like, oh, this is amazing, this is such a good read, you gotta read it. What is it, mystery? No, thanks. I don't know what it is. Maybe I just don't enjoy the process of being dragged along on an investigation. Just just give me the facts. Just tell me who did it, and then let's move on to some more interesting, deeper discussions. No idea. But I I did enjoy this because it was a psych thriller. Like, we got to know so much of the character's mm. brain capacity. There was a lot of um, point of views as well, which I really enjoyed. So you're getting the same plot, but from multiple perspectives. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you're getting filled in as you go but from all different angles of the puzzle so it felt very three-dimensional right not just one character taking you along on a on a uh, um, mystery or an investigation or whatever and the other thing that I enjoyed was there were deliberate holes so the example of this is one of the characters didn't know what she didn't know because she was blackout drunk half the time. And uh, her alcoholism was a big problem in the book because she couldn't remember. And half the time she was like, I can't remember. What is it? What is it? So it's not even that we don't know what happened because we're trying to figure it out. It's that we're trying to encourage her to remember what the hell happened. That sounds kind of frustrating. Yes. Her memory is 90% of the problem, her lack thereof, I guess. And that's what I enjoyed so much. And, you know, mm. it, it sounds like it could be tedious. I understand that when I'm when I'm telling you this, you're like, okay, but how long are you going to pull that thread, right? Mm. But the author, Paula Hawkins, did an incredible job, at least to me, um, while at the pace of which I was reading it, to stop that when it needed to be stopped. Like, as soon as I started feeling like, okay, come on, there's no way you're going to drag this on any longer. She stopped it as well. So so dragged it on, but not to the point where it became a drag to read. Yeah, it became like a crutch for the uh, for the kind of book it is. Hmm. So anyways, this great read. Um, also, I believe it was a miniseries or a movie. Oh, okay. It's a TV thing as well. Um, but Girl on the Train, what's your mystery? Hmm. I will say that thrillers and mysteries do translate well to tv adaptations yes my choice for this category is murder on the orient express by agatha christie classic as well that's there's that word again (laughs) but i'm gonna call it a classic it is is. this one is absolutely one of those books that drags you into the investigation it really pushes you to solve it like that's specifically what it's all about this one takes place entirely on a train and there's a murder, as you might expect. And somebody, one of the passengers who just happens to be uh, an investigator has to figure out who did the murder. It's a very simple premise, brilliantly written. And one of those mysteries where it was right in front of you the whole time. And you should have seen it coming. But when you find it out, it's so satisfying. And side note, this train travels from Istanbul, Turkey to France, Paris. That's like a week-long overnight train. Yeah. That's kind of a vibe. The, the first time I read this book, <laughs> oh, I was like, I on a train. <laughs> yeah, I want to be there minus the murder. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, uh, I want to say 
that this is... Amr, sorry if I'm misquoting you, but it's one of his least favorite books what? that he's tried to read, Amr Khan, who will join us next week. He's um, read it, I believe, in full. It's not like uh, some of the other books where he's tried and tried and tried again, but has not enjoyed it. Can you try to relate to someone who did not enjoy the book and understand why? Oh, that's a great question. But why did he not like it? Is it? I'm asking you. Uh, <laughs> Why uh, is would he just he not, not? Maybe it's because it. he wasn't into mysteries. This is very much a personal preference thing. Is it because also I think about books like that are done this way where you're because Girl on the Train. Hey, we have a parallel with our recommendations. Girl on the Train as well. So much of it takes huh. place in the train. And is that just not exciting enough for people? Because you have to be interested in something other than setting like so much of it is condensed into this setting. Which can be a vibe, but it also could be, like, irritating, right? Because you're not moving anywhere. In books like this, I think it's all about the characters. Mm. But there's barely even a story, actually. Exactly. It's really about you finding out what happened. Like, they do sit-down interviews between the investigator, who is the main character in this book. But he's really, like, a placeholder for the reader. Like, the main character has no personality. He literally just is there and has a name. (laughs) <laughs> so he does interviews with all the different characters on on the train. And that takes up most of the mm. the book's uh, page count. It's just interviews. And you slowly piece together the different relations that all these characters have to each other. And I don't know. It's a bit tedious. But if you don't care to find out what actually happened, like, I don't know. It couldn't be for you. There's so much. I think we've talked about this before. Um Oh, it was Sarah, Sarah Hillis, who talked about she doesn't want to try to predict. She doesn't want to hypothesize. She wants to just be taken on the journey, like, tell me what's happening and I'll follow you on this river. But I don't want to sit there and think, oh, you did it. No, you did it. Oh, I think that I was wrong about this because da da da. And there's something to be said about that mindset and picking up mysteries and thrillers to begin with, right? Because I also don't want to hypothesize. I don't want to sit there and investigate with you. I just want to be taken on with the book, and um, that might be one of the biggest reasons why I don't pick up mysteries. You almost uh, need it. You need to start investigating yourself. Yeah, that's true. Too much work. Especially in this book where, like, it's, I think half the enjoyment is from trying to figure out yourself. But I think the vast majority of of people, especially people who read a lot, can't help but try to hypothesize. Like, are you how do sure? You actively not hypothesize about what's going to happen. You just don't. But you enjoy you the writing. Read, if you read a lot, then you kind of understand narrative structure, and you've seen all these plots happen before in other books. True. Right. Anyways, let's move on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're going right. to something else altogether. The next category is nonfiction. Nonfiction, Romeo. You want me to go first? Okay. I have a few. Uh, After Steve by Trip Mickle. This was a really, really, really good book. So we're talking about uh, the fall of Apple, the rise again of Apple. And true, this was a recommendation for a book club. Um, but the reason why I was very intensely curious about it was because I'm an Apple fan. I was also an Apple convert. Um, I went from being anti-Apple everything to all Apple everything. So Because I just, of this book? No, oh. before this book. Oh, okay. <laughs> good clarification. I was like, what were you reading, a pamphlet? 
Oh, stop. <laughs> but this is more about Apple as an entity, right? And Steve Jobs is the one who created and just completely, I don't know, brought this entity to where it was. But when he died, it went through major, major, major shift. So what I loved about this book and what I loved about this journalistic aspect of this book is um, it was written to showcase the people who were part of the rise and fall of Apple, rise and fall and rise again of Apple, but in the sense of like where they were personally in relation to where the company was. So, so much of you know, the the engineers and uh, the creatives and the infrastructural changes of Apple, like the Apple Park or whatever that was being built, uh, had to do with where people were in their own personal lives and personal investments into Apple. And some people left the company, some people came to it, some people were dragged out. Uh, and Trip Mickle just did such a good job because we just think of Apple as this big, giant, tech corporation you know they they own everything and they have all their money um but all the people who are involved in that in such main ways had very crucial roles but those roles were identified or um manipulated or you know like just things would happen to the company based on where they were in life and health issues came up like all kinds of things came up and affecting relationships you know Mental health, for example, like to run a corporation Mm. like this, it takes a lot of sacrifice, self-sacrifice, and not everyone was able to offer that. And then they would just be booted out of the company as long as Steve Jobs was in power. Um, But that's not always the case, right? And then also, you know, if you were, who's the the current CEO? I'm blanking on his name. Tim Cook? Tim Cook, yes. Tim Apple, like Donald Trump would say. (laughs) Tim Cook, uh, when he was going through, um, coming out, when he was going through that journey, there was a lot of, how is this going to affect the company? And what could he do to almost market himself to the company because he knew the kind of power it would have. So there was just a lot of this exploration. But again, it's not just the facts, right? It's the exploration of the people to then relate it back to Apple. And I thought it was just done so brilliantly. Also, didn't get to a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff, you know, that you could just find anywhere else. Uh, Interviews, facts about the company, stats, history, changes. Like, all that stuff was really second to the people. So it sounds like a really interesting exploration of the people behind the innovations that Apple brought, mm. right? Because there's people behind all of these changes yeah. that Apple brought to the industry. And the right? mistakes and the errors that the company had to deal with. All all mm-hmm. the above, the successes and the failures, but it was really, really about the people um, and the accountability and the, the mental health. It was just, yeah, brilliantly written. That sounds amazing. Stephen Scott, by the way, was the one who recommended this book, so... Oh, he would recommend that book. Yeah, exactly. Stephen Scott is the host of Double Tap, which you should should listen to on AMI. Yeah. Your nonfiction recommendation? My nonfiction recommendation is The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wallabin. The actual full name of this book is The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World. 
that's that's a terrible title. Just keep it to <laughs> the hidden life of trees. Who came up with this? Like, would you pick this up if you did? You just pick it up cold. Uh, yeah, I picked this up. I literally looked up like top ten list of new his um nonfiction, and this was on the list. I'm like, okay, okay cool. Okay. I'm into biology and All stuff. Right. I'll read this. But I'm saying, like, if you just saw the title, you'd be like, next. I think most people willingly choose to shorten it because <laughs> there's like the short title and the long title, but they put the long title everywhere. Mm. But everyone who talks about it, they're just like, I'm not saying the whole thing. <laughs> like, that's a stupid title, guys. So what yeah. did you learn? Peter Wallabin is a German author and forester. Uh, this book was originally written in German. It's a little piece of pop science that explores his observations on trees and forests in his work as a forester which he he was a, a park manager for um for a giant forest somewhere in germany and he's obviously very knowledgeable in the biology and the ecology of trees and forests but what i like is it's not just about the science it's also based on in his hypotheses and unproven observations so it's a mix of proven science and hypotheses and just observations that he's had over the years like for example he talks about how a lot of people talk about how people who are really in tune with nature Mm -mm. you always hear that phrase right Mm -hmm. it's it kind of sounds like pseudoscience but it's not far from the realm of possibility that we can genuinely feel how a forest feels yep because people who live in nature will tell you like this forest feels healthy. Energetic. It feels yeah. energetic. And then they will go to a dying forest and say, it feels sad. It feels unhealthy. Mm. And it's not that crazy to think because there's a lot of evolutionary reasons why we would want to be in tune with our environment. But also, trees do communicate all the time using yes. pheromones and their root systems and chemicals. Like it, It's really crazy. So honestly, the vibe of this book is like going through... A walk in the forest with your kindly old grandpa who knows a lot about oh. trees. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's also a great book to fall asleep to. Oh, but not like because it's boring. Just because it's lovely? No, you no, know, it's not boring. It, mm. it talks about all sorts of stuff like the hundreds of different strategies that different trees use. Um, the different ways that trees will pollinate themselves, how they support their families, how different species choose different strategies to survive, like how birch trees choose to grow really, really fast and have this really amazing bark that's fire retardant and like uh, infection proof, but at the cost of never growing to be terribly tall. Whereas like an oak mm. tree will go really, really slow, but incredibly strong. They all have their, their niches. This is beautiful. It sounds like you retained so much from it. Is that because of the way that it was written or just because it was so fascinating, unexpectedly fascinating? It's written. It's going to sound like a like a complaint, but I really don't mean it that way. It's written for absolutely everyone. And this is something people complain a lot about with pop science. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot of gatekeeping where they're just like, oh, bruh, 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 this is not real science. Like, I want to hear the facts and the studies. But it's like, no, not everyone's, including myself, ready to digest, like, a giant Absolutely. tome on the studies and the methodology that these studies use. Like, no, it's really about the observations and what to extrapolate from these studies and these observations. And it's very digestible because of that. That's brilliant. And especially because, you know, we talk about the uh, how 
distant or the gap that we feel if we're trying to pick up a topic and it's just written so academically. Like, we're not going to do that, right? I'm not going to do that. But then this is also not the TikTok version of finding out about trees. Because now when we think of digestible, that's what I think of, right? Like quick stints, quick stints of information. Like 30 seconds. 30 seconds, please, on trees. <laughs> but how are you going to get to all that and explain it so beautifully as Jacob just did, you know, unless you read it this way? Um, I also want to bring up for nonfiction again, if you don't mind. Of course. Uh, the Elephant Whisperer. Lawrence Anthony Graham Spence are the authors, co-authors of this book. And the reason I want to bring this up is... This is another nonfiction that I really enjoyed. And I think it's the halfway or it's the connector between uh, of what you're saying, Jacob. So like our connection to the the natural world, uh, to understanding forests, to understanding what it means to connect as us humans to the natural life, I think can feel very... mm, surreal or as you said just like it's not a thing there's like an insurmountable disconnection yes yeah it, it, it's hard to convince people just from saying yes of course the uh there is energy to this for uh, forests there's energy and spirits to forests. but this book the elephant whisperer makes us connect to the animals to the game life to um safari in the sense of like let's understand how these creatures connect to nature and does it that way and it's brilliant it's so well written uh it's basically about the man who hosts these rogue elephants right these elephants who were um adopted because they were going to be eradicated they were going to be put down. They were too much to handle uh, somewhere else. And Rogue. You mean like too the, crazy to be in a zoo? Yeah, in a zoo or in mm. another kind of... Um, I'm losing my words. Like what's the... Anyways, to be domesticated, right? To be, to be taken care of. To the extent that an adult elephant can be domesticated. Yes, yes, yes. And so they, he takes care of them. He bonds with them. He builds bonds with them, which is a totally different thing because, you know, they came in not trusting him, um, him having to really take his time step by step, day by day to build a relationship, to build trust. And honestly, like I learned so much from this book, not about elephants, but about the patience that it takes to uh, take animals like this that we just think are, you know, beyond our understanding of connecting with humans in in a kind of everyday sense, right? Like we're not connecting with elephants the same way we connect to our pets not in even North close, America. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does that, and through this, we get the explanations and the discoveries that he's having about connecting to animals, connecting to nature, this energetic sense. Um, an example is like they would know when he's coming home. If he's going on a travel four to six weeks, eight weeks on, and he's coming back a particular day, it's not that he's informed these elephants when they're when he's coming back, but they know. They will stop showing up when he leaves and start showing up to greet him when he oh, comes back. Wow. It was so interesting. And gives you, you know, jitters. It gave me jitters, that's for sure. I was like, what is happening? It's just the way that he would explain it. So anyway... 
So these last two books, uh, The Hidden Life of Trees mm. and The Elephant Whisper, I think they sometimes elicit some eye rolls. Yeah. Pe- people thinking like, oh, these books are for tree-hugging hippies. Like, no. Like, <laughs> Not at all. No, like go into it. Seriously. some level of open-mindedness. Yeah. Right. If you're curious, that's all it really takes. Mm-hmm. No one's trying to convince you. Let's take a quick break. We're going to be back with Greg David, communication specialist at AMI. We have rapid fires, re- rapid fire reviews all ready for him to participate in. Um, also, we're going to get some good book habit talks with him after the break on AMI Audiobook Review. Welcome back to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm Ramia Umadhan, Jacob Shemansky is also here, and we're welcoming in an avid audiobook listener or avid reader. They have to confess when they get here if they're um, <laughs> listening to books or not. But Greg David, who's come on the show before, he's AMI's, uh, what are you, communication specialist. My goodness. What do you do here? Wow. What do you do here again? I know, I'm sorry. Because I always wanted to call you our marketing specialist. We just like loop you into everything. Also, he's the guy we pick on when we have holes on the shows, KNR, <laughs> yes. everything possible. But you are an avid book reader. Have you been listening to a lot of audiobooks lately? Yeah, it was interesting. We were talking uh, earlier about the fact that uh, it was because of this podcast that I started listening to Audible because um, just as a lifelong like fall asleeper to reading right. in the evening type of thing. Uh, but yeah, I really do like uh, – I use audible.com. I've, I'm an Amazon subscriber, so I get that as part of the package. So yeah, I, I, I really like it and, and I find – you know, like podcasts, you know, you have it on in the background while you're, you know, puttering around the house. So, yeah, I'm definitely a convert. Okay. Mm, you say in the background, but how much in the background? Are you yeah, so that, listening to it? That's always the question, right? Yeah, and that is a better question, Jacob. Like if it's a – if depending on the podcast, I'll be listening to a podcast while I'm cleaning the house or getting dinner ready, like kind of those tasks where you don't need to concentrate. But if it is an audible book and one that I'm really into, I'm definitely like sitting down and not doing anything really that that involves my brain because I need to think. I need to think and really listen. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like you can you can listen to an audiobook comfortably if you're folding clothes, for example, or just doing <laughs> some cleaning, but like cooking or something that takes up a bit more brain power. I don't know. I I kind of doubt people who say that they can really properly actively listen to an audiobook while doing those things. I think we want to get into another game because it was so fun last time and um we want to know how badly. I mean, how well people do. So, <laughs> no, no pressure, but you know, we already said he's the guinea pig. So Greg, we want to put you through the paces. Jacob, I think you should explain the game. The game is rapid fire reviews. Greg kindly provided to us five books that he's read recently. We'll go through them one by one. Greg has 15 seconds, only 15 seconds to review each book. We'll do all five, and then at the end, Greg, you'll get to choose one of these books to give a more elaborate review mm-hmm. on. Does that Maybe make sense more to than one, if you need to really need to redeem yourself. Maybe. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> okay. All yeah. right, Greg, does that make sense to you? It's never sounded yeah, so Yeah, it makes sense. Me. I feel I'm all nervous. Gee whiz. Good. Oh, let's yeah. do it. That's why we like it. Pressure. Okay, here we go. The first book, Cry Wolf, Inquest into the True Nature of a Predator by Harold R. Johnson. 
Yes. So this is uh, from U- University of Regina Press, and Harold R. Johnson really delves into whether wolves um, attack humans and whether they do them on purpose, whether they view us as prey. And so it's a it's a deep dive into the relationship between humans and wolves. Good Lord. All right, next one, The Murder Pit by Mitt Finley. Yeah, I got this recommendation actually through Red Sail on uh, My Life in Books. And this is uh, one of three books by Mick Finley, who uh, follows a detective who uh, in London at the same time as Sherlock Holmes. And he is on the seedy side solving crimes that Sherlock Holmes never would. Mm. Yeah, I noticed you picked up the pace there. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They just seem a little weird. How Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars remake rock and roll by Doug Broad. Yeah, this is great. Uh, Just rereading the history of Kiss and Cheap Trick and Aerosmith was fun. And learning about a a band named Stars that along with those bands in the 70s reshaped a kind of glam metal. It was just, it's a fascinating nonfiction read. What? Beat the timer? We have time to spare. Wow, that was the best one yet. Goodness. All right, Last Men Off by... Matt Lewis. Yeah, so this is the story of an oceanographer. He goes on board a ship off the coast of uh, of Antarctica, and it is all—it's a true story about the sinking of the ship and how it affected him. And it's a—it's a gripping nonfiction book that you got to read. Now he's just—he's wow. just describing on what purpose. A show off. Oh my god! <laughs> last one. Last one. Rogue Heroes by Ben McIntyre. Yeah, so this is a behind-the-scenes story of the SAS, which is called the Special uh, the Special Air Service. Uh, it started; it was formed during the Second World War, and it is a deep dive into what they did uh, throughout Africa during the Second World War. And it's uh, like you said by Ben McIntyre. All right, that was repeat information anyway. Didn't count. Okay, good job. How Thank do you, you think you did? Well, I think I did okay as as I was going on. Uh, I tend to talk a lot anyway, so this was good to have only 15 seconds. Mm. Mm, it's especially a good challenge for you given that. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. All right, so which book would you like to elaborate on? I'd like to elaborate on Ben McIntyre's book, SAS Rogue Heroes, um, for a couple of reasons, if that's okay with the two of you. Of course. Let's go. Okay, so Ben McIntyre is known uh, for writing historical um, stories. He's a multi-million dollar best-selling author, um, mainly about spies and spy stories. Um, he wrote a book called Operation Mincemeat, was a, which was about the British and how they created a fake uh, spy agent to throw off the Germans. Um, by and and so he they had created this uh, this fake uh, spy, and uh, the Germans fell for it. Like fake um, documentation, briefcase on him. All the information they have was was fake, but they really wanted to test to how you know how well the Germans uh, were entrenched in the in in what the British were doing with regard to their secrets. And so this uh, this is that was a great book. This one is even better though because it tells the history of the Special Air Service. Uh, this is an authorized war time history. The SAS actually uh, proved for them to sit down with Ben, uh, share all of their old documents with him. And it oh, just wow. tells the story of this special forces group, uh, this unit in the British Army. It was founded in 1941 by this guy named David Sterling, who the story on himself is pretty incredible. He was a really kind of lazy soldier. Um, he came from a really wealthy upbringing and was kind of doing this, uh, joining the army on a lark. And uh, and realized that um, you know he really should get serious, and so he came up with this idea of the special air service. Um, 
it was a highly classified group. They were um, very secretive. They went. The idea was that they went behind enemy lines, and they did this mainly through Af- uh, in Africa. Um, it the group is still around today. Um, uh, it's it's there are actually twenty two special air service regiments um, in Britain, and um, their role during the Second World War um, was to just kind of go behind enemy lines and blow up German airfields. Uh, that was the the main reason for doing it was so that the the, the German Luftwaffe uh, you know weren't able to entrench themselves uh, like they had been to that point in in Africa and uh, and really. D- just the, the story of these guys who basically the British were saying, you know, you don't exist to us. And if you're ever caught, we don't know anything about you. Like kind of the classic 007, right? And actually a lot of, there's a lot of thought into the fact that maybe um, 007 was kind of loosely based around um, some of these guys and, and around David Sterling. Um, there are there are contrasting stories to that, but that's kind of the gist of it. Just that they went behind enemy lines, blew up planes, messed things up for the Germans and made it harder for them to kind of keep hold um, in, uh, in North Africa during the second world war. The way you talk about them, it sounds like the modern version of privateers where privateers were like state sanctioned pirates, but they were just allowed because they would wreak hell behind enemy lines. And these guys were just out there in Africa blowing up Luftwaffe airfields am i understanding that correctly yeah yeah so they were blowing up the airfield so they were uh they made incendiary bombs and they would come in uh, like uh the dead of night and they would plant these incendiary bombs on the on the planes and that's part of the story too is that they had to perfect these bombs so that they didn't like go off too early because too early would be really bad it wouldn't give you enough of a chance to get away and they would blow up the fuel depots and and yeah just really create havoc um so when you say like behind enemy lines you really mean like there is no backup they're literally like in the middle of the enemy control territory like they're just skulking around corners and planting bombs yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like you just, we, you know, if something bad happens, we don't know anything about you. The British wouldn't talk about this group. They were so secret. And yeah, they would literally drop in by parachute behind enemy lines and, and wreak havoc in the night. And uh, it was just some really crazy stories. So not only just about what they were doing as a group, but also the people that were part of this group. So David Sterling was 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 the leader of the SAS. But, uh, you know, he had uh, a guy named Patty Main, who was kind of his second in command. And this guy, from all accounts, had a bit of a death wish. He was kind of the guy that would run, you know, run down the runway, um, firing at, you know, even though he was outgunned and outmanned, he would be firing right at the Germans as he was running down a runway, <laughs> um, you know, um, and and it, the book also digs into his his backstory and to David Sterling's backstory. So kind of the, the two of them are kind of the co-leaders of this group and, uh, and goes into the, how they found all of these other guys. And they Mm. were kind of the guys that they got to be part of this team. Weren't your regularly military dudes. They were a little bit crazy. They were a little bit different. They were a little bit more, um, willing to risk themselves for the cause. And so it really was kind of like a motley crew, of, of guys. And, and you needed to be that way because you were living off the land. And by the way, the land was a desert. So you were only finding water at oases, you know, you weren't, you know, you had to keep uh, a low profile. And so you didn't have like tents and big camps set up. You were kind of hiding amongst rocks and, uh, and things like that and, and hiding out and planning during the day and then uh, running your missions at night. I'm curious if you watched the, is it a TV show that was made? Yes. Yes. 
I have watched it, and I actually watched it partway through reading the book. And uh, it didn't ruin the experience for me, but it did. Uh, and actually, the book, as as both of you know, when you're reading a book, you get a lot more context into these stories. Um, this was a, um, a, a miniseries um, for BBC that uh, I think it's, you can check it out on Amazon. And uh, and they had to gloss over a lot of those stories. They also created some some characters that weren't there. Right. Um, there's a there's a female character in in the television show that isn't in the book. Um, and so, so yeah, if you want more the, historical fiction, if you think, yeah, it is, yeah. it is. And, you know, and the other thing is it bugs me when they make these TV shows is that they'll create a character and then there'll be like a potential love interest. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with romance, but like, don't create a romantic storyline because you feel like you need For to. I think it was, it. yeah, that's, that's how I felt a little bit about this, but I, at its bare bones, it's, it's a great miniseries as well. Now, why'd you pick up the series in the middle of reading the book? Because uh, it was on and my partner wanted to watch it. So she said, <laughs> you know, I really want to watch this, but I don't want to watch it until you're done reading it. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm done reading it. I wasn't really done reading it. Right. But I said, yeah, let's uh, let's check it out. And, um, it, you know, aside from this story is the story and the television show is based around Africa. But these guys actually went over to the um, the Pacific Theater as well. So they, um, once they were done their their roles in in Africa, they moved on to a different theater during the Second World War. And so, if there is a second season of the show, and I believe there's going to be, it'll it'll deal with the Pacific Theater uh, for these guys. I'm curious about when we talk historical anything, historical reads doesn't have to be fiction or nonfiction. How much of it do you? go back and research about like if all this information this uh learning was new for you greg do you go back and research more do you deep dive into it post reading the book uh, not post during the book i'll put the book down and i'll pick up my phone and i will start googling things because uh you know a, a lot of times there there might be a reference but not a deep dive into mm. a certain location in africa or you know really kind of understanding you know maybe geographically where they were like there are maps that are in the book but uh i will head to google like mid read on a nonfiction book and and really dig deep into the history because i'm fascinated by it all so you described the show as being historical fiction, but is the book historical fiction as well? Or is it like, is it told in a narrative style? What's the writing like? Yeah, a great question. So it's all factual. Um, ben McIntyre was given access to all of the documentation. So this is all factual. There's nothing made up. That's why there's no romance in the book. Um, it, it really is. It's interesting. Ben McIntyre, you know, even though he's writing a historical book, um, I'm sure that you both have had experience with books that were historical in nature and were very, very dry. Mm. Um, that isn't the case with SAS Rogue Heroes. Um, because of his writing, it really, really pulled me in immediately. Um, the conversations between these guys, they have like, a, they, they've, they've got all the reports and, and everything. So they, they know this is what they, they did and, and what they said. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's all factual. And like I said, the way that he, that Ben McIntyre writes it, it's, it, it reads like a great novel, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, and, and you could be aside from the fact that in the book itself, the, the paper book, there are photos, um, there are photos of all, all of the soldiers and some of the documentation in there. Um, it does read like a novel, even though it's factual. So why did Ben McIntyre get chosen to have access to the archive and these documents? Like, is he like, what's his background? Is he a historian? 
Yeah, he he is a historian. So he he's a first of all he's a columnist and he's an associate editor at the Times, um, uh, and has worked as a, the newspaper's correspondent in New York and Paris and Washington. Um, and I mentioned Operation Mincemeat off the top, so that was Second World War in nature. He also wrote a book called A Spy Among Friends, um, which uh, is is a relationship between. Uh, a, a, a British spy and his handler. And it's also a true story um, and it has been made into a miniseries that is available to check out as well. I think it is on, on Netflix uh, or, or it might be Acorn or BritBox, but I've checked that one out as well. And so, yeah, he, yeah, Jacob, he's got that background of he's already written about these topics. And so the, the members of the SAS said, listen, we can trust this guy. Like he knows how to tell our story. And so we're going to give him, give him access to uh, the folks uh, that were involved if if they're still alive, uh, but more importantly, the the reams and reams of documents. Do you? I know that you've recommended nonfiction, um, you know, just across the board, and it seems like in your list of books that we went through for rapid fire reviews, you know, you enjoy this kind of genre and the, yeah. the learning of it. So I'm yeah. not going to ask you about that, but I'm curious about <laughs> because you said sometimes things come across dry and it's not well written when. Have you ever, or when do you give up on a book, or are you a completionist? It's so hard. I, I'm not a completionist. I'll shut it down if I'm not. If I'm not pulled in, like I watch a lot of TV, and I'll give a show a, a series three episodes, and so I'll give a book like a hundred pages, two hundred pages, and if I'm, I'm not sample. engrossed in it. I'm I'm out, and that doesn't matter whether it's nonfiction or fiction. If I'm not pulled in, um, I've got books and books and books and bo- boxes of books stacked around my house in different locations. So if I'm not pulled in, I'm moving on to the next book. But you know, there's also a middle ground where you're not really enjoying a book, but you just complete it over months, right? In multiple, yeah. multiple, multiple sittings. Oh, how do people do that? How do you go yeah. back? Uh, yeah. And actually, Jacob, that's a really good point. I, If I start a book, I'll finish that book before I move on to the next one. I can't have two or three books kind of all on the go and then say, okay, I'm going to put that one down because I'm not feeling it. I'm going to go and read that one first. Like when Stephen King's latest book came out, I dropped everything to read that book and read it over a weekend just because <laughs> I had to. Yeah. Um, but that's the only time I, I don't, I'm not the type of person that can have a whole bunch of different books all, all kind of scattered around me. Um, I'll start reading it. If I'm into it, I'll keep going. And if I'm not into it, I'll just drop it by the wayside. So I may have just contradicted myself by what I just said, because I am a completionist if I'm, if I'm into the book or if it's Stephen King. <laughs> Those are the two caveats. Yeah. The thing is, though, like, I'm really curious about this kind of mediocre middle ground, like, you're not loving it, but you're not hating it factor. Because if I put down a book with the sense of, meh, I'll pick it up in a bit. Maybe I'll be into it later. I promise you, there's very rarely a time where I'll right. pick it up. That's the thing with those books is you tell yourself, it's probably going to get better. Yeah. Or I hope it's going to get better. Yeah. Where, whereas if you're reading a bad right book, if you're reading a bad book, it's like, I don't think this is going to get any better. Yes. And yeah, and it could it consciously. Yeah, and it could depend on where you are in your life, too. You might just not have been in the mood for that book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the same thing, with, again, going back to a TV show, just because I watch so much TV, is like, oh, I'll go back to that show. Like Luther, I started to watch Luther and wasn't into it. And I it wasn't until 
it was all done and years later that I went back and watched it and really appreciated it. So I think that you can totally do that with books too. Maybe it wasn't the time in your life to, 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 to read it. It wasn't appropriate at that point. Um, I also am lucky enough that I have a free, one of the neighborhood free libraries um, because I'm cited. Um, I can read the books that I will like go and donate a book down to the community library or I'll grab a book from there as well and, mm. and bring that up. I so want to bring up on writing uh, with you, which is the Stephen King what, Guide to Better Writing or whatever he calls it. Oh, I know you've dropped, you have <sighs> mentioned that so many, so times, many times on this podcast. I'm like, yeah, yes. Ramian, yeah, I need please. to like can I, get into please? it. <laughs> yeah, the next time the I'm on, we'll talk about on. Okay, so this is the perfect opportunity to bring okay. it up yet again. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, the next time on. I'm on, we'll talk about that one. Okay, but this time you're on. I want to bring it up in one context, which is okay. we've been asking uh, people like over the last month we we posed this question to the book club and brought people on to talk about the ranking of um, elements of a book in order of importance for our pleasure. Right. So yeah. we're talking yeah. about plot, writing, characters, and setting. So you've already talked about little things here and there, today's conversation, um, you know, writing style and et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a general sense of your preference? Yes. And go. Yes. And I listened to that podcast and I was in on that conversation and I can't remember who it was. Uh, uh, so for me, it's plot. Uh, no, character. Character is first for me mm -hmm. and then plot. And then setting for me is last. And I, I can't remember which guest mentioned how setting was more, you know, seemed to be more important as the conversation kind of went on. But for me, it's the characters. If I'm not drawn in and don't care about the characters, then that's the first thing that the first instance of, of disconnect for me. And that has nothing to do, not nothing to do, but it doesn't override, it isn't overridden by writing style. I mean, like, let's face it, you do a lot of writing in your own life. Um, you're interested in writing as a kind of like topic or mm -hmm. subject. So is it the way that characters are written that make it more appealing? Or is it just that, hey, this is a book. We're not really talking about writing. You no, know, for me, it's it, it. Do I am I connecting emotionally with that character, and do I care about what's going to happen to them throughout the book? And now I'm talking specifically about a fiction book. And and I'm sorry mm -hmm. for the people that don't like Stephen King because I've got to go back to him. There's a book that Stephen King wrote called The Tommy Knockers, um, and it's about mm -hmm. a woman who um, she unearths a UFO that has crashed on her property, and it didn't matter. It's one of my least favorite books, and it's because of the lead character. Mm. And I don't, and it, and for me, it's not about that I didn't care about her. It was more like Stephen King, I think, in a way, did a disservice to the character and somehow made her unlikable to me when I was reading her. Because there have been many, many female characters in his other books that I absolutely love, and and his most recent Holly is one of them. But um, yeah, the Tommy Knockers for me, there was just a disconnect and it was a slog for me. And so to me, it's the character that's got to pull me in. And once I care about them, you've got me all in for the rest right. of the book. Now, you say unlikable. Unlikable how? In the sense that they're not an interesting character or they're not a good person? Like, what was Yeah, the great question. Of? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's great, and it's is good. I should I should make that distinction. If she was unlikable because I didn't care what she was doing. I didn't care what she said. You were invested. Oh, you know what it is, Jacob. I, actually, now that you make me think about that, it was um, her language pattern I didn't like. 
the way that um, she spent time, she was basically living alone and her only companion was her pet dog. And so there were the conversations that she was having with her pet dog just weren't, didn't ring true for me. Some of the terminology that she, no, no, not at all. No, don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. Uh, No, not at all. It was just, I didn't like the cutesy language that she was using. Um, She lived in the middle of nowhere in Maine. So there was, I felt like there was a little bit of um, too much uh, uh, attention paid to slang terminology. Mm, uh, Like like Maineism, exactly, Jacob. And so that's what it was that made her un- the character unlikable to me. So it sounds like it had more to do with the writing than anything. But the writing of that character. Yeah, the writing of that character specifically. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just a yeah. bit of a grind to read anytime she's on the page, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was a time where I can remember just kind of hate reading it. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to push through because it's Stephen King and he usually does me good and it's got UFOs in it and I like UFOs. And yeah, I just... Um, I've never gone back to read that one. So you put plot second. And I think plot was a contentious element. I think some mm-hmm. people had it last and some mm. people like myself had it first. You had it second. Why is that? Because um, then once you once I like the character, then take me on the journey. And that's kind of what I think about when I think of plot. What's the adventure that you're going to take me on through the for this character? Uh, so that's why I, I ranked that second is that... Um, yeah, now now you got me. So now make the take me on an adventure that I that I'm going to enjoy um being or or not enjoy being on. Right. I like the way you put that. It's about going on a journey. It's the difference yeah. between going to the park and laying down a blanket and taking a nap and going to walk uh, or going on a walk. What's wrong with that? <laughs> we want to also lay down on blankets in the park with Addie Larue. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Oh, you can do that. I'll go for a walk and talk to people. Okay. okay. All right. Talk to people. Wow. Nobody wants to do that. No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I also wanted to ask you just for fun. Uh, do you do anything? What do you usually do when you're listening to audiobooks? You talked earlier about background listening and such. And uh, we wanted to find out if you do anything interesting or just yeah. usual. Yeah, so it's usually like a like a mindless chore. Jacob mentioned folding laundry, so it'll be it'll be that. Um, it could be something like uh, you know a DIY, like painting the house. You know, doing something where you don't have to worry about the you know the minutia. Like obviously cutting with a sharp knife, I probably want to be focusing on that mm. rather than. Uh, but so it'll be it'll be those kind of tasks where you don't have to worry about. Um, what you're doing. Um, also driving a long distance. If I'm driving from where I live to to Toronto right. um, for work or whatever, then an audiobook is fantastic for that. Very um, popular. Air, yeah, yeah. F- uh, planes. Back when I used to fly in a plane, you know, you you know, you could put a book uh, put a book on while you're while you're doing that. So yeah, those are those would be the scenarios that I would be using a, a you know audible uh, audible for. Is it a skill to be able to handle a knife while listening to an audiobook? Yeah, I do that all the time. I was gonna say. So so Pros. for me, if if it's like for me, if I want to uh, if I want to be able to concentrate, like usually what I'm doing in that case then is I'm re- referencing a, a recipe. Um, and I want to, oh, okay, you know, okay. if it's, so you know, like if I'm just prep, yeah, like if I'm just prepping like roasted vegetables or something for dinner, then I can, I can do that with the, with the book on. But, um, and you know what, actually the other thing that I wanted to mention as I'm talking about listening to audiobooks is I'll listen to a podcast with my earbuds in 
but I'll listen to an audiobook with a speaker, a Out smart loud. speaker. Why is that? Yeah, like so that wow. it's in the room or in the car. Is uh, it easier to focus that way? What yeah, is, is I feel like you're huh. making me analyze this a little bit. And I think that is the reason why. Like it's hmm. almost like a teacher reading to you. You know what? When you're too? in elementary school. Yes, yes, it's story time. But also yep. like you're an, an avid TV watcher and and that includes the visual focus, right? So to kind yep. of go from that to just audio might be harder than we realize. Right. Do you yeah, struggle maybe. with like paying attention since you're always getting that visual stimuli? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I just I'm excited people on the show. I'm pretty I'm pretty good at at multitasking. I'm still old school where I actually put my phone down when I'm watching TV. Wow. Um the if I do time. find myself yeah, if I do find myself reaching for, for for the phone, it probably means I'm bored with whatever it is that I'm that I'm watching. Jeez, he's so conscious. I know people who will exclusively watch TV with two screens. Like they cannot sit two down and watch. Two screens. It. Well, I mean like your phone and the TV. Yeah. Right? Oh, They're oh just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Browsing Reddit like or checking doing Twitter. Both. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you're doing both. Like people yeah, just I mean, can't I'm do old. it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm old school. Like that, I mentioned I'm 52. So, like, I I grew up where you only had one screen, guys, and you had to get up and change the channel on that one screen. But now we have two. (laughs) You don't want to change. One more question for you, David. Um, Or Greg. Or Greg. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is confusing when you have two first names, okay? Believe me, as I mentioned, I'm 52. I've been called both all my life. Don't worry about it. I just knew I had to. Jake has been I calling you to... Dave since the beginning. All right, David, Greg, what are your thoughts <laughs> yeah. on playback speed for your audiobooks? Ooh. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah. can't. I, I hear you talk about this all the time. I can't speed it up. No. 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 Sorry. Not even 1.1? No. I can't even do it for podcasts. It's got to be... It's got to be... Yeah. The speed it is. But most of us agree that podcast is a whole different thing. Um, do you ever feel you're putting down a book because it's too slow? Because of the pacing of the reading of the performance? Um, no. Uh, the only time that, you know, either I'm just not interested in it, like we mentioned before. Also, sometimes the topic is so dense that, that maybe I do have to put it down. Um, I was just uh, months ago, I was reading a book on the history of the gulag. If you ever want to find out about the history of the gulag, I can recommend the book, but it's heavy, heavy reading. And so I had to take some breaks um, just from, from, from that book, just because of the subject matter. Wow. All right. Greg, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. We love talking books with you. Greg's going to come back um, at the end of the month on KR, Kelly and Romeo, because we're going to talk about Holly by Stephen King. That's the recommendation of the month. And that's it for us. We're wrapping up the show now. We'll be back next week. We're talking to uh, Dave Brown. We have mm-hmm. an actual review as well. Jacob and I are busy reading this recommendation by Dave. Yeah, Dave recommended Success by Martin Amis. It's been an interesting read, Very to say the least. How far along are you? Uh, a quarter. A quarter? I'm finding okay. it to be a struggle. Like I had to put down a lot of my own perspectives to get into this book. Oh, yeah. We'll get into it. It's it's, it's challenging. It's very challenging. But Martin Name is uh, one of his favorite authors, he says. So. Yeah. Interesting pick, Dave. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. We literally can't say anything more without talking about the book. Um, and uh, I think we're also ta- chatting with Amir Khan, our audiobook worm. So lots of conversations next week. But until then, enjoy your week and happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books. 
where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.